Since March 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been developing content monthly, weekly, and daily for the business of pharmacy. With more than 25 different podcast channels, more than 1 million downloads, and 30-plus participating pharmacists, the Pharmacy Podcast Network is the global leader in podcasting for the pharmacy professional. Find all of our podcast channels by going to pharmacypodcast.com forward slash shows. Thank you for listening to Polititalk Rx, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. If you're in the profession of pharmacy or if you're in the healthcare industry, you can't afford to sit idle and not be informed about your profession. We ask you to share these podcasts with your fellow pharmacy associates, your state and local government officials, and get involved in politics in some capacity, starting with being informed. We must take action, but only when we're educated and understand the issues and policies which lead us to a better tomorrow for our profession. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Polititalk Rx and send us an email at polititalkrx at gmail.com. Hello, hello, and welcome to another show of Polititalk Rx right here on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Today, we have an amazing guest all the way from Colorado coming to us to talk to us about an important issue. We have Representative Dylan Roberts of Colorado. Hey, Scott. How's it going? It's great to be on the podcast. So glad to have you, and I really do appreciate you coming on the show today. I know that you and I have been speaking about this bill for a long time. Um, Well, I would say you've probably been speaking about it a lot longer since you've dealt with this uh, first and foremost, which we'll get into later in the show. But I'm really happy to have you and um, and, and happy to just have you as a contact, a, a connection, someone in my network. But uh, also a friend. And I, and I think we have a lot of the same initiatives in what we're doing and in truly to help people and empower them with a voice. So thank you so much for your work. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, great to be on and it's been great to get to know you a little bit and, and talk policy. And I think uh, it's a really great partnership and, and glad to be here. Well, I want to start off with giving our audience a little bit of understanding of who you are. And, you know, sometimes we hear representatives or politicians political figures and, you know, we, we don't know who they are or whatnot. I want to give people an insight of who you are. So if you could give me a little background of who you are, when you started as a representative and what got you into that? Absolutely. So I am the state representative for House District 26 in Colorado, which is uh, two counties. It's Eagle County and Route County. Some of your listeners who aren't from Colorado may know some of the towns in my district, like Vail and Steamboat and uh, Beaver Creek, some of those ski resort towns. And so I represent those areas as well as all the, the towns uh, near them uh, in the Colorado mountains, which is a absolute privilege. And I think one of the best districts in the country. Um, but I've been a representative since 2017. Um, and so I've done two legislative sessions in Colorado. Uh, we're gearing up for uh, our 2020 session that starts in January. Um, I grew up in Steamboat Springs and my family still lives there, but I live down in Eagle County now in the town of Avon. And when I'm not a representative, I am a deputy district attorney for Eagle County. Um, So spend half of the year uh, at the Capitol in Denver doing the legislature and then the other half of the year back uh, home in the courtroom. And uh, so that's a little bit about me and uh, have a huge interest in in health policy and health care and prescription drugs. uh, That has been a big focus of mine since I became a representative. Well, you, you did say you represent the ski area, so I want all my listeners to know if you're ever in the area, you need a hookup. No, I'm just kidding. So um, <laughs> no, I, wanted to, <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about one thing that I, I really was happy to see, and 
it's the transparency as a representative you had. You know, when I was looking up some of these bills and I heard about this, uh, you know, this bill being even proposed, the fact that I could reach you on your cell phone with a simple Google search, and maybe you didn't want me to tell the world that, but the fact is the transparency okay. is everything. And the reason I say, say that is because you are reachable, you're touchable in that sense. And, and somebody that has an issue or a problem has such access to you. And, and I think that's the most important thing in today's political spectrum. So I appreciate your work there and, and just being so transparent. And, and again, your work in, in your own uh, districts. I did want to speak to you a little bit about Colorado and the history of bills that we're, we're going to discuss here today. Uh, but some of the progressive bills in Colorado, I know Colorado has been a progressive state. And you know what? Some people out there, they think in some set, set senses that when the medical marijuana and then recreational and such went in, that they started to say Colorado was the hippie state, right? So like a lot of things that followed. So <laughs> talk to me a little bit about the progressive sense and maybe more of an understanding than a lot of other states. Sure. So, you know, traditionally Colorado has always been, and it still is today, a third, a third, a third state. So we, you know, you look at our voter registration numbers, it's a third Democrat, a third Republican, a third unaffiliated, um, and uh, about that. And um, that's the way our politics always has been. We've had, um, you know, Democratic governors, Republican senators, uh, sort of going back and forth. Um, you know, we were a red state for the presidential election for a long time until Barack Obama in 2008. And then now we're more of a blue state for that. But, um, you know, I, I still think, you know, Colorado is trending in a progressive direction, but we, we are not, you know, uh, deep blue or anything like that as far as politics go. Um, you know, we still have a lot of people who consider themselves strong independents and, and want that reflected in our government. But I think what you're commenting on is a lot of the progressive health policy that got passed in our legislative session this past year. And that's, uh, I would note with all of those health policies, though, every single one of those health care bills was had bipartisan sponsorship or at least got bipartisan votes as it moved through the process. Um, and that's because people on both sides of the aisle are hearing it from their constituents, just like I think they are in every other state, but that the cost of health care is too high cost prescription drugs are too high and we want you to do something about it and we're sick of the politics about it. We just want you to find solutions. And so we'd had a lot of ideas in the many years before this session to do that. Um, and, but I think it really took last year's election as well. We have a brand new governor. We have a brand new legislature. Um, a lot of new people. I think 50% of the legislature was new when we got sworn in in January. So a lot of new energy. And I think that was the type of momentum we needed to get a lot of these uh, really bold healthcare policies passed. Yeah, and, and that's amazing. And, and everything you guys are doing, I think, is setting a precedence for a lot of the rest of the country. And the fact, like you're saying, that bipartisan support is so important. And it's unfortunate that we have things that are affecting so many people. But the fortunate side of it is, in my eyes, that it affects everyone equally, uh, because a lot of times we've dismissed certain things that affected certain communities or certain areas of poverty uh, because that was only affecting them and their voices weren't being heard. So I could say that's somewhat of a benefit in that regard, but I won't call it a benefit just for due diligence of our conversation today. But I, I do want to talk to you about the bill today, uh, the bill that was passed in Colorado to cap insulin copays to a hundred dollars. So I know you were the lead behind this bill and the, a lot of work was done on it because I, I know with any of these healthcare bills and, and you can understand that from your perspective as a non-healthcare provider, 
and an attorney speaking about healthcare and then trying to get all your colleagues to basically understand all of that perspective as well. Uh, sometimes it's, it's not as easy as many people might think clear as cut. So if you could talk to me real quickly a little bit about your specific focus before we get into the bill about why insulin was a topic of focus for you. So I have a uh, special connection, if you will, to insulin and, and type 1 diabetes. My little brother was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when he was 10 years old. Um, I was 14 at the time. So I you know, grew up uh, before I left for college in a home with somebody who had type 1 diabetes. And uh, that becomes a family issue. You know, every member of the family has a responsibility to look out for them and make sure that, you know, they're um, – that you can tell that they're doing okay, that their blood sugar levels are okay, that they're getting either the insulin that they need or the, um, the carbohydrates that they need and uh, to stay healthy and, and stay okay. I saw my brother unfortunately have many seizures uh, because his blood sugar got too low or get really sick because his blood sugar got too high. Um, you know, he was growing up going through puberty. And it's a really volatile time uh, for a type one diabetic. And I was there to, to witness it. Um, and, you know, I know that there's, millions of people just like him across the country who get type 1 diabetes at no fault of their own and then have to live with this this disease for uh, the rest of their lives. One thing I did also come to appreciate is the amount of insulin that it takes to uh, stay alive and, and stay healthy as a type 1 diabetic. And, you know, my family was fortunate enough to have health insurance and good health insurance, so the cost of insulin never really was an issue for him. But I remember thinking even back when I was that young, of, wow, what if you didn't have insurance or what do people do in, in third world countries or to get insulin or things like that? Or, or what if you don't have insurance even in the United States? Um, how do you pay for this? And um, unfortunately, before I became a representative, my little brother had a uh, diabetic seizure because his blood sugar got too low while he was hiking and he fell and hit his head and passed away from uh, complications from that fall the next day. Uh, and so when I became a legislator, obviously that's a huge uh, moment in, in my life and my family's life. And um, when I became a legislator, that was at the top of my mind. And by that time, you know, I started to see the trickling of news stories of insulin just skyrocketing in price. And, you know, partly as a way to honor him, his name was Murphy, um, and partly as a, I think, a valid public policy decision, I decided I wanted to work on the insulin issue, you know. The cost wasn't an issue for Murphy, but I know it's an issue for thousands, if not millions of other people. And so I wanted to do something about it. Um, and that's what led me to looking at insulin legislation uh, in the Colorado legislature. And I want to first and foremost say I sincerely uh, feel your tragedy and you know your loss. And I commend you for your efforts to follow through with something that I believe will be in the name of your brother. And so I want to say thank you for your work and I'm sorry for your loss. I, I think- Yeah, I appreciate that. And, and I think what one, some of the things that people don't realize with diabetes is it's not just the patient that deals with diabetes, it's also the family. And you know whether it be as simple as what place to eat, um, or what time to eat, but it's also the cost and especially with parents with children with diabetes, how of a, a big of a detriment that can be on other family members um, and, 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 and not even just getting into costs yet. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about this bill and 
when you took up the the copay bill, when you initially started to work on this, did you feel there was going to be a lot of barriers and backlash? And if you could describe the bill so that our, our listeners understand what it is that's being done inside your bill specifically that you've had passed in Colorado. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll talk, the specifics of the bill, uh, are, are fairly simple. So the bill that I introduced and it got passed and signed by the governor this year caps the monthly copay for insulin, regardless of how many types you need or the amount that you need, just your prescription for insulin, it caps it at a hundred dollar copay amount per month. Um, as if people with diabetes or, or people who know about this issue know before you reach your deductible, you could be paying anywhere from 600 to over a thousand dollars a month to, to get your monthly supply of insulin. Um, and so that's a huge cost reduction immediately. Um, so that's for anybody who has insurance not regulated by the federal government. So it doesn't apply to Medicare or Medicaid. Um, hopefully those would be cheaper than $100 anyway. But anybody with insurance, it's a $100 copay cap. That's the first part of the bill. And that goes into effect on January 1st of this upcoming year. So about three months from now. And then the second part of the bill directs the Attorney General of Colorado to investigate insulin pricing and try to figure out what is going on systemically that is causing the prices to skyrocket. I mean, we all have suspicions of why, and um, maybe even more than suspicions, but I think having his legal team take a look at it, and then uh, he has to, per the bill, prepare a report and deliver it back to the legislature next year to tell us what we should do next to uh, address this issue. So that's the bill. It's two parts, copay cap, attorney general investigation. Um, what led me to this is actually my first year in the legislature, the 2018 legislative session, I introduced a bill that would have mandated transparency for insulin pricing all the way through the supply chain. That bill um, would have been great to give us some details on why insulin is going up so much, but the bill itself wouldn't have actually done anything to lower prices uh, because we have very limited power as a state uh, to, to lower the price of drugs that are sold across state lines. Um, it's really an issue for Congress to deal with if we're going to do it effectively. So that bill, I wanted to get passed, though, of course, because the information would have been really valuable at determining what to do next. That passed through the House, um, but it then was defeated in its first committee in the Senate um, on a partisan vote, three Republicans against, two Democrats for. So um, coming back to this new legislative session, uh, I wanted to do something that, that could address the problem as quickly as possible and then also take a look at the long term. So I see this bill really as a first step and not the only step. Um, and we're going to keep working on it. Well, I, I think that it's phenomenal. And right now, in because of what you've done, you've led a precedent to open up Florida, the state that I'm in, to also propose a very similar bill. There's a... Uh, a, a I guess you could say two bills now, one in the House, one in the Senate, SB 116 by Senator Cruz and HB 109 by Representative Duran, both of which I've been working with. I've worked with Representative Duran on multiple bills, including uh, some of the language and legislation for opioids here in the state of Florida. So uh, two major champions, but both have been affected by this. So very similar issues. Uh, I wanted to say, first and foremost, the what you did with the PBMs and the investigation, I'm going to get into in a little bit because I think it's a very important area for us to focus on. I do want to start out with just talking just for our, our listeners. A lot of them are pharmacists. They know this information, but for listeners out there that are interested, 
there's about 30 million Americans that have diabetes. There's about 30, uh, I would say about out of the 30 million, there's about 7.2 million that were undiagnosed. Uh, And and there's about Mm -hmm. 1.5 million Americans diagnosed with diabetes every year. Now, to me, uh, those numbers stand out because about 1.2 million Americans have diabetes type 1. And when we talk about some of these bills, I think it's important for us to separate type 1 and type 2 in some sense. Many times that we look at the way that uh, these diseases are treated, um, there's sometimes where insulin dependence, which are most of your type 1s, are going to be affected in a much harsher way uh, because the fact is when you're insulin dependent, these are the drugs we're talking about right here with the copays. So for you and I that may not have diabetes, and I can't speak for you, and you don't have to at a at a HIPAA. I don't want you to uh, you know disclose that <laughs> if you don't want to. Uh, but what I'll say is is for you and I, food and water is a necessity. For a lot of Americans, so is insulin. And without it, just like your brother, they would pass away or have these areas of issues. Now, when we look at costs in you know, billions. When we're looking at costs in the U.S., we know that medical costs and lost wages for people diagnosed with diabetes cost the U.S. $327 billion per year. Now, that's with lost production. That's also taxpayer dollars that are not being paid, so lost taxes. And the problem with it is, is that you have a lot of people, A, that don't know they have diabetes and end up in the emergency room, which costs our taxpayer dollars a lot of money from those unpaid bills in some sense, or the insurance premiums to be risen because of the amounts of people that go to the emergency room and have to come out of the insurance companies. We also know that it's twice as much or twice as high in terms of cost for people that don't have diabetes versus those that do. So I just wanted to give that to give some perspective of where we're at because a lot of people, and I'm I'm sure I can't again speak for your brother, but I'm sure had insurance. And the fact that a lot of people can't afford a medication, even with insurance, boggles my mind. It it actually blows my mind because we then have to step back and think about people without insurance and how they afford it. Now, just to give perspective in Florida, uh, a, a premium may cost $600 a month. The deductible may be $4,000 to meet. So by the time you meet the deductible, you could have possibly paid out most of your medical costs to be seen five times, six times a year by a normal physician plus specialty care. Now, the fact is most people don't see their physician more than once or twice a year. And especially with a chronic care management like diabetes, it's a, a lot of times that people don't find the real focus towards their health until it's too late. So a lot of times we look at people that are overweight and we assume, hmm, they may be, they, they must be eating too much or they're not taking care of themselves. And I, I, I don't want to dig too much in our food system because you and I could probably talk for years on that. But I did want to give some perspective mm-hmm. in, the, in the background of where we're at. Now, in terms of Florida, just to kind of give some perspective on us in Florida, I want to say that diagnosed diabetes costs Florida $25 billion each year. And the fact of also the U.S. GDP as a whole, we pay 20% of our GDP, almost 20% of our GDP towards healthcare, more than 100% of any developed country below us. These are staggering numbers. And the reason I say that is because we don't get better results than most countries. And I think we've been saying these same talking points for so long. So I wanted to know what what is, you know, this bill, we both know, this bill is, is focusing on diabetes costs. What, what is it that your constituents said 
when you started to pass this bill? How much support did you get? And, and what were the kind of actions that followed within your constituent population? Yeah, it's a great question. So obviously anybody who has type 1 diabetes or somebody in their family that uh, has the, the disease or even insulin-dependent type 2 diabetes will, of course, know the value of a bill like this. You know, they're the ones that are on the front lines paying the cost um, for this skyrocketing price of uh, the skyrocketing price of this drug. Um, the people who don't, uh, you know, either they have heard about this issue at least a little bit, um, because I think uh, it's a really good thing. The cost of insulin has, has become the poster child, I believe, for the rising cost of prescription drugs in general in the United States. Um, insulin is such an egregious example. You know, the price increases of 700, 800 percent in just 10 years. Um, and then you combine that with considering insulin is such a relatively simple drug. It was developed back in the 1920s and was sold, the patent for it was sold for a dollar. Um, and the actual quality of insulin hasn't changed at all since the mid nineties, but the price has gone up by, you know, over a thousand percent. And so it's, it's easy to explain the problem through insulin of all prescription drug prices. Um, uh, you know, of course there's going to be some people who say, well, this is a, this only affects a certain number of people. It shouldn't be a matter, you know, that I care about or that you should care about. Um, but, you know, so you're, you'll deal with those types of detractors. But I think you just laid out the cost of diabetes and, and untreated care or lack of care. The cost that has on the whole society at large is, is pretty ex, uh, extensive. And, and so I think that gives another reason why this is something to, to concern ourselves with as a state legislature and then hopefully as a national legislature in Congress. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you talked about the insulin being an example. And I think sometimes we have to step back at the 50,000 foot view and say, this is an example of what is exactly going on and how the markets are working. And there's no regulation to stop these issues from coming on. You know, we have a lot of people that say basically, well, if you're eating donuts, then I shouldn't pay for that. And the fact is, believe it or not, you are. Just it's not coming out in the fashion that you think one for one. It's actually you're paying probably twice the amount that you would if you it actually came out in a fashion that was sufficient for all. And I don't want to get into the diff, different systematic health plans, but just to kind of give some sure. perspectives, if you go to the hospital, you don't pay your bill and it's a, a tax paid hospital, taxes will pay for that bill. If you go to yeah, or everybody's insurance prices will go up exactly, exactly, and then premiums go up, and that's the thing that people don't understand. Thirty percent of the components of medical expenditures, when we talk about that, three hundred twenty-seven billion, are in a part of that is your direct medical cost. So two hundred thirty-seven of that three hundred twenty-seven are direct medical costs. Thirty percent of that two hundred thirty-seven are from hospital inpatient care directly associated with diabetes. So why would you have an inpatient care? Well, we have to understand that people are rationing their diabetes. The fact that the, the yep. prescriptions are so expensive, but so are the hospital systems once you get there. So I think for when we talk about ins for sh insurance companies, it's important they understand how clearly uh, this would benefit them and their pockets on the long term. Of, but you're right, like insulin was $10 uh, back, back you know, 15, 20 years ago, and it's now $1,000 a vial. Um, the, it just right. doesn't make sense. And, you know, when you have people that could just raise a price, I want to step back a little bit and talk about some of the things with this bill. So you're raising, uh, you, I mean, excuse me, you're lowering co-pays, right? Okay. You lower the co-pays, every, everybody's all of a sudden happy. But the 
there's two options. PBMs, which you and I are about to speak about, um, drumroll, and there's the insurers. So a lot of people don't understand PBMs are the middlemen. Now, PBMs intent yep. to start was to help people save money, negotiate pricing with manufacturers, negotiate pricing with certain pharmacies, and, um, and really start to help the patient save. Well, what happened was they saw dollar signs in their eyes. It was kind of like the cartoons, right? The dollar signs in the eyes and ching ching in the background. And what happened then is that we we start seeing PBMs tell the manufacturers, well, if you don't lower your price, I don't care. You don't you don't talk about what I'm going to sell it for. But if you don't lower your cost, I'm not going to put you on my formulary. But at the same time, if you don't increase your list price for this drug, I'm not going to get enough rebates. So I want you to now change your price again. And then I'm going to sell it for a different price. Now, that's one way of compensating for this copay law. So I understand that if we lower copays, let's say in some sense, from $600 to $100, PBMs may say, well, that's money that we're not going to cough up. So we're going to make either the manufacturer increase list price for rebates, or we're going to pass that on to the insurer. The insurer then can then say, hey, I'm going to increase premiums which is why it's so important of the piece of the legislation you put into play, which is to investigate why this is even happening to begin with. And I think from there, it leads to the national uh, discussion of why drug prices are so much when we pay so much more than other people. Now, we hear the Bernie Sanders, the Elizabeth Warrens and all of these individuals, and even on the Republican side with the, you know, Donald Trump has spoken about drug prices and transparency and so forth. Mm -hmm. But it seems to be like the conversation we see around other issues where there's a lot of talk, a lot of hopes and prayers, but nothing gets done. So I want to get your take on this. What are your comments about the uh, idea of pushing legislation to import some of these drugs? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, yeah, I'll just a few things that you just said that that we've taken into account here in Colorado or, or that we need to, you know, first of all, yeah, you, you brought it up. Diabetes, that, that term is complicated because there's type one and there's type two. Type two is, is usually related to, to diet and lifestyle. And I'm all for incentivizing preventative measures to, to get people to eat healthier, to live a more active lifestyle so we can prevent type two diabetes on the front end. Type one diabetes is completely different. Um, and I wish they didn't have the same name because people with type one often get lumped in and it's unfortunate. Type one diabetes is a you cannot prevent it. It's an autoimmune disease that you get diagnosed usually as a child, um, which is even more tragic um, because you have to live with it from a very young age, but usually get diagnosed as a child and you're stuck with you for the rest of your life. There's no way to treat it or cure it or anything, or there's ways to treat it. There's no way to cure it. Um, so that, that's one thing. And that, that, that's, it takes a lot of effort. It took a lot of effort for me to talk to my legislative colleagues. You'd be shocked at the amount of people who are elected representatives or senators in my state. And I'm sure every other state that, don't know the difference and, and to be honest, couldn't care uh, less about what the difference was. But that, that aside, um, you know, so that's another reason why we need to work hard on this issue because we're talking about people who got this disease for no, at no fault of their own, just like a lot of other diseases. Um, as far as the whole pricing scheme of drugs in the United States, you're exactly right. These PBMs are so short for pharmacy benefit managers. I think we're started with really good intentions and a, a way to both facilitate the transfer of drugs from manufacturers to uh, patients and try and get them a better deal. Um, that has completely gone to the wayside uh, in, in the last uh, several years, maybe a couple decades um, because these PBMs, like you said, they have their private companies, they've got a profit motive too. And so they're trying to make money out of this and they, they have these things called rebates where 
the pharmaceutical manufacturers offer rebates to the PBMs, the PBMs offer rebates to the insurers or vice versa, and it goes back and forth. And so sometimes when a pharmaceutical company lists their, their drug at $200, um, the insurance company is going to be paying $300 because um, the PBM gave a $100 rebate to the pharma company or the pharma company gave a $100 rebate to the PBM in order to get them to take their drug. And so it's just ridiculous. Um, and it's so complicated and completely uh, challenging for a legislator like myself or even health professionals to understand. And uh, so we need transparency in all of it. We need transparency. It's not just the PBM's fault. I'll say that too. Uh, there's no reason why Eli Lilly or Novo Nordisk or Santa Fe, which are the only three companies that produce insulin for the United States market, by the way, and that's a problem too. There's so limited competition. There's no reason why their list price should be that high. Um, they are making large profits already. Um, they know they have a captive audience uh, because people with type one or insulin dependent diabetes need to buy insulin or else they'll die. Um, so they can raise the price with no penalty, basically. But we need to get that under control. We need to figure out what PDMs are doing. We need to figure out what insurance carriers are doing um, through that whole supply chain. That's what the Attorney General in Colorado is going to look into, um, and that's what I hope the U.S. Congress also looks into. Well, and it's funny. And then you asked about importation. Yes. Um, so I'll, I'll talk about that real quick. So importation, it's funny, actually. Florida and Colorado were the two legislatures this past year that passed bills to start the process of allowing those states to import drugs from Canada. Um, we need a waiver from the federal government, just like you guys do. I understand President Trump has told your governor that uh, he's likely to give him that waiver. Um, I don't know if that'll come through because his administration made an executive order related to importation of drugs. Conveniently, yes. insulin was not one of the drugs that qualified, unfortunately. Uh, but hopefully those go through. Yeah, I mean, there's that's another crazy part of this conversation, right, is Canada and Mexico, they're paying $50 a vial for insulin. And in the United States, that exact same vial costs $320 or even more sometimes. What's going on? What's the difference? And I think the answer lies in this complicated pricing scheme that's been set up by pharma and the PBMs. Well, and, and we constantly get the conversation that, well, we have the FDA, and we have, uh, you know, this, this great program. Now, listen, the FDA helps a lot of people, but I can go back numerous amounts of stories, including those with opioids, where the FDA has not done, to my eyes, the job they should be doing to save the people. So, you know, when we look at these systems, I believe importation could exist, maybe not existing in the sense that we import drugs from them, but maybe that we meet a national average or a international average, excuse me, um, that meets these other price points. Uh, because we have, it's not like we're going to get rid of disease states because we lower prices. But I think that's a, a pressure point or a nerve that needs to be pushed on. What I do believe is that the discussion about importation is more of a political poll in what I'm regard, in re, re, referencing when I say that kind of pushing on the nerve or a pressure point, because a lot of those people that didn't come to the table before are starting to come out of the woodworks because now all of a sudden we're going around you. And I think that's a huge area for people to open their eyes and say, wait, 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 what are you guys trying to do? And then get their lobbyists in involved and the conversations start to occur. So I know that that for me, at least, it seemed like a political uh, stunt in some capacity, but and I'm talking about on the national uh, level. Now, we have the conversation that Canada may not have enough drugs for us and they'll go uh, without. So I think we need to focus on sure. the sustainability of a program and talking about an international regulatory body that can help 
kind of put back drugs that are in high risk or high demand. Now, I want to go back a little bit and talk about the uh, insulin cost itself because some people I've talked to have said, well, you know, insulin costs only $25 at Walmart now. And I don't think there's an understanding that when somebody's on a uh, auto injector for long-term, a Lancet, for instance, a long-term uh, used insulin, it's not the same as the $25 insulin you're getting at Walmart. Now, if you were having an emergency situation, absolutely, that $25 and what Novo uh, Nardis did and uh, Eli Lilly did to help some of those patients, absolutely amazing. And I appreciate that. But they're also still the same people that are holding those prices in hostage. And I don't think anybody should be held at ho hostage for being able to live, right? So no. So we talked about that, but there's one, one subset. Now, again, a lot of people, this, this bill affects people with insurance specifically. And people without insurance um, or, 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 you know, that basically are not in this realm will not be affected. So there's always the what about me kind of concept. Now, I think, again, this comes back to the baby steps that we're taking and trying to ensure that the understanding of the 50,000 foot view, which we referred to earlier, and the PBMs are being looked into. So I think that's a huge thing. And I really do appreciate that piece, again, that you've put into there. Now, I want to talk. To yeah. And can I just say, yeah, 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 the part you brought up some, yeah, some really interesting points. So a, a big part of in this, this insulin conversation is happening in a lot of states now, um, which is incredible. And I'm, I'm so glad to see it. But a lot of the people, the pushback of why laws or uh, new regulations might be necessary is, is yeah, exactly. You so say you can go buy insulin for $25 at Walmart. Let me just say categorically to anybody listening, that is incredibly offensive and not the solution to this problem. I'm sorry. For anybody I, I who has type very well. Can you repeat that for the people in the back? <laughs> yeah. So it's just <laughs> incredibly ridiculous and offensive. Um, the type of insulin that you can buy at Walmart is not the type of insulin that is healthy for a type 1 diabetic who is used who has an insulin pump or is used to daily injections of insulin of a certain kind. Changing insulin like that on a dime's notice is so unhealthy for a type 1 diabetic because your body becomes used to regularity and used to that specific type of insulin or that specific brand of insulin. And just switching it because you couldn't afford insulin that month and you got the cheaper version or the different version at Walmart is causes really bad health outcomes. And that's that's so that's why it's offensive to tell somebody to go to Walmart. And I know there's people who are ignorant of those facts and glad we have podcasts like this and ways to talk about it. We've got to get the word out. That's not the solution to this problem. Walmart and Walmart insulin or insulin bought at a store like that is serves a purpose and it, it helps type two diabetics. It helps people's um, animals, pets have um, diabetes that need insulin. That's what that's for. That is not a long-term solution in any respect. Um, so I just wanted to, to put that out there before we move on. No, and, and the same goes for when you hear somebody say, well, this drug company has this process that you could apply for. To be honest with you, I hate that so much. And it's, it reminds me of when I was even going through a process with helping friends that were coming over to this country, didn't have insurance, and I was trying to find you know cash prices. Everybody would say, go to the emergency room. And it's like, why would you – that would be your first thing to say to somebody without even the understanding of yeah. what their their barriers are, right? So I think first and foremost is education on, yes, those programs that exist. But why should somebody that's living with this disease based on genes or based on whatever the case may be that they specifically had diabetes type 1 specifically, that they should have to go through this – 
already crazy barrier, not only to see their physician, not only to have the, the way that people feel when they have type 1 diabetes and not having the right sugar levels, let alone, but then additionally, like I said before, twice the amount of cost. I just think people don't think enough when they say things, right? It's always that there's an answer for it's, that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and you, it's something you would never... Um, you know, it's easy to say when you, you don't have to do that yeah. yourself, when you don't have to go through the extensive application process or, or deal with the stress of worrying about the cost of insulin. Um, and, and these patient assistance programs, I, they serve a purpose and they've gotten some people um, in some circumstances, the insulin they need at a more affordable price. But what's really ridiculous about them is that those programs prove that these companies can offer insulin at a much lower price um, and not, you know, hurt their bottom line. So why don't they make this, you know, the price reductions available to everybody? Well, I, I agree with you. And I think one of the things, too, is we talked about this a little bit, you and I, in the past is, you know, the idea that, yes, hospitals are becoming more transparent. Uh, you know, insurers are tr starting to get part of the pre uh, pre prevention in terms of preventative care and so forth. What the problem is that congressional budgets don't show savings. And so it's in the hands of the advocates and the lobbyists on the side to prove that there's actual savings being done before somebody makes a decision, which is very sad. Um, but it's, this is why it's so much more important that people like yourself and other healthcare providers and other, other politicians out there get together. Right. So that we are I'm no expert in, in any area of, you know, oncology or, you know, opioids or diabetes. But I can talk to experts. I can understand it and I can be a voice for it and help relay that message. So I think it's so important for our healthcare providers to work with our legislators and not just sit back and say, oh, this is not fair. This is not fair for my patient. Do something about it. Stop talking about it and do something about it. I want to ask you before we get off. Absolutely, here. and and the the doctors and the the in, through my process getting this bill through the it was the doctors, the nurses, and the pharmacists who were some of the most powerful advocates for this bill. The people who were willing to come to the Capitol and tell legislators what they see every day on the front lines of this disease and and other diseases um, really makes an impact. And so I would I would certainly echo that call for providers and um, activists to, to get involved and tell their stories because people don't know unless you tell them. And, and I, I truly, I truly appreciate you saying that. And I truly appreciate your commending the healthcare providers. I, I sometimes feel like we're behind the scenes as a whole. And I really try to you know be a voice so that others get involved. I think it's so important. I want to ask you, what are some of the concerns you're working on moving forward? And what are some of your focuses? So we can let uh, some of our listeners know and, and, hopefully help and be a part of the initiatives that you have. Yeah, absolutely. So like I said earlier, this, this bill, this copay cap bill was a first step and not the only step. Um, you know, I'm fully committed to doing whatever I can on a state level to get at the underlying problem of high insulin costs and high prescription drug costs in general. We still need to do things to address the people who don't have insurance um, who, or who um, are still paying way too much for a drug that, that shouldn't cost us this much. Um, so I'm going to be working on legislation in this upcoming year that it will be price transparency uh, across the entire supply chain of prescription drugs, not just insulin, but um, many of the most commonly used and expensive prescription drugs so that we can get um, our state uh, uh, executive branch and regulators the data that they need to, to figure out what to do next. Um, we also need to get a handle, and I'm going to try and find legislation to 
figure out if we can pass some of these rebates that I was talking about that pharma offers PBMs and PBMs offer insurance and all the way back up to get those rebates actually passed through to the customer, to the patient so that they can see some of those cost savings that come from the rebates. The concept's called a rebate pass through. Um, you know, we, transparency is great for transparency's sake, but if it doesn't lower the cost of anything, it doesn't do anybody any good. So transparency combined with this um, pass through, I think could be a really successful solution in the upcoming session for Colorado and hopefully will also um, help a lot of other states do the same. Um, and then, you know, another big part of what I've been working on at the state legislature is getting people access to health insurance in the first place. So um, I, I my other big bill from this past session was uh, in, initiating the process of creating a public option for health insurance in the state of Colorado. We passed a bill to that does the first step. We're going to get the proposal back from the executive branch next month. And then I'll be running a bill to implement that public option uh, next year. And so hopefully we can get more people on uh, enrolled in health insurance, give them the security of health insurance so they can afford drugs, no matter what the costs are. Uh, and then uh, keep moving forward in that direction to get people uh, covered as much as possible. So, um, there's a lot to do specifically on the insulin front, specifically on the prescription drug front, but then also the overall picture of increasing access to healthcare. Um, we'll do what you've been talking about is get more people the care they need and, and prevent some of the ex enormous costs on the overall system of untreated health issues. So my last question to you is when you're running for Congress. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I feel like, like I just said, I still have a lot to do with the state legislature. I think there's still a lot of good things to get done. Um, I have no plans to run for anything else anytime soon, <laughs> but, um, you know, you never I've know mentioned right? this a few times, you never know, but the real solution to drug pricing has to come from the U S Congress. Um, these drugs are sold across state lines. So the, you know, an individual state can't necessarily regulate the price of a drug that violates the interstate commerce clause, you know, very legal technical issue. So the bottom line is Congress needs to step up and do something. There's a, several bills that have been introduced in Congress, both specifically on insulin and prescription drugs in general. All of them are bipartisan or most of them are bipartisan, but they're just sitting there and they're not doing anything. And even president Trump said this was one of the issues he wanted to work across the aisle on. I don't know why it's not happening. I call my members of Congress, um, all the time and say, what are you doing on this issue? Let's go. Like we can't do it all on our own in Colorado. Um, and so hopefully, um, even though I know we're going into another presidential election, this can be one of the issues where we can have some bipartisan success out of Washington. Yeah. And, and I think making a public service announcement to all members of Congress, blood is on your hands. People are dying every day and it takes people like representative Roberts to actually be out there and helping people that he represents, but he can only do so much by himself. People in our state can only do so much by themselves. Members of Congress, we are calling on you to save the American people. You have an opportunity right in front of you. We as American people need to step up as well and voice our opinions on this. People are dying every day. Family members are passing away and it shouldn't be this way. Again, we could get into the food. We could get into the other issues that we're talking about. But right now, this is a baby step that can be taken. Let's focus on price transparency. Representative Roberts, I really, really, really appreciate your time today. I really appreciate you coming on the show. You've been an amazing guest. And I just want to say, again, thank you for all that you do. Absolutely. Thanks, Scott. Um, this is a really great opportunity to talk uh, in more detail about the work we've done in Colorado and, and help you in Florida. 
I'm so excited to hear that uh, bills have been introduced in Florida to this effect. And that, uh, other than actually helping people in Colorado afford insulin, that has been the second best part of this bill passing is it's gotten some national attention. And I think I've heard from close to 25 other state legislators or legislators in other states saying, wanting more information, saying they want to do this in their state. So to see this fan out across the country is incredibly encouraging and gives me hope that one day, hopefully with Congress's help, we'll find a solution to this. Well, I want to I want to give a huge thank you to you, your staff, and all of the healthcare providers that helped you, especially the ADA as well with their support. I know here in the state of Florida, the ADA is also supporting that, and, and many bills across the country. Walgreens has also stepped up and gave some support and said that they would be behind be behind this, which I appreciate the corporate entities helping out and and putting their powers behind. And the medical associations here in the state of Florida, thank you for stepping up and taking this on as a priority. This has been another show on Polititalk Rx, so thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another Polititalk Rx episode on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Again, we had Representative Dylan Roberts of Colorado. Thank you, guys, and I will talk to you soon. Bye, everyone.